Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 128, Reader's Choice, recorded January 19th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Now, I can hear you asking yourself, Reader's Choice? This is a podcast. We don't have readers. That's true. We're not talking about our readers. We're talking about uh, readers of the Linux Journal 2013 Reader's Choice Awards. And, Hooray. and that's not necessarily the actual topic of the show. We just had to have something. And when we get to it, we'll spend a couple of minutes on it. So, you know, you know yeah, how we and, and remember, a while back, I had mentioned that it was open for voting, and I had politely suggested that the Element OP Nation go vote uh, for them and let our voice be heard. So I don't know if anybody did or not, but I wanted to share the results with everyone anyway. And of course, that voice that you just heard is my co-host and your friend, Mr. Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Sultan. Great to be back for another week. Yes. And along with him, <laughs> the uh, command line godfather, Mr. Christopher Neves. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, everyone? And I am the newly nice- named Sultan of the Soapbox, Mark Cockrell. I have to say it slowly, otherwise I have one name, Mark Cockrell. Uh, glad to be with you, everybody. Uh, we missed last week. Um, there is a pox upon my house. Uh, there are six people who live in my house, and right uh, in the last ten days, five of them have been ill. I, so far, Ooh. knock on everything I can find to knock on, have managed to miss it, but I have been playing nursemaid to five females for the last two weeks. Um, I feel your pain. <laughs> I, I feel so sorry for you. <laughs> and so when Seth called or emailed last week and said he was sick, I was almost like, oh, that's that. I'm sorry you're sick, sick, Seth, but that's actually a relief for me. So we we just canned last week's show. Sorry about that, but we're back now. How are you doing, Seth? Feeling better? I'm doing good. Um, I had Mount Chinmore sticking out, swollen. Um, it, I look I looked a lot like the Elephant Man because the left side of my chin started swelling and the right side of the back of my neck, uh, and so it was it was quite the thing to see. But uh, I dubbed myself Mount Chinmore. And I started a Facebook post looking for superhero names for my chin. Um, but it, it's back to normal. If you're going to be sick, you might as well have fun with it on Facebook. Um, yeah, because, you know, you the go. worst thing that could happen would be I would be maimed and in a semi-vegetative state for the rest of my life. And that and is pretty that much happen, the worst thing. might as well get some laughs. <laughs> I heard uh, uh, one of the other podcasts we do, um, uh, used to do, One Meal, One Workout, that uh, one of the guys there lost like 130 pounds, one of our guests. Uh, and he, he made a comment like that. He said, I, I realized that not only could I die from being obese, but I could not die. I could, I could stroke out and, and be in a vegetative state. And it was interesting. It was for him, it was the fact that he could not die, but be incapacitated just because he liked jelly donuts too much that made him, uh, lose. It was over a hundred pounds in uh, a year's time. So yeah, that is the worst thing that could happen. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, people say, well, I, what's the worst that could happen? You could die? Like, no. <laughs> There's things much worse than yeah. death. So, uh, you know, um, so yeah. So might as well have some fun with it. You know, despite your, whatever your religious beliefs may be, death is the end of whatever's going on in this life. And if, you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the worst, death is by far not the worst thing that could happen. 
Yeah. Wow, we went deep there all of a sudden. Sorry about that. It was. Holy smokes. Uh, before we get too further, I uh, I need to issue a correction. I said a while back we were talking about um, uh, using a, a tablet as a phone. And I uh, a reader commented that uh, Google Voice doesn't handle SMS messages. And I said it does. Uh, it, it detaches them and sends them as an email. That is correct. What is what is not correct and what the reader meant, and I didn't understand at the time, is you cannot send a picture message with Google Voice. Um, so my daughter came to me with her 7-inch tablet and said, Daddy, I want to send a picture to Grandma. How do I do that? And I said, well, that's easy. You just go to the share menu and click Google Voice, and it's not there. Uh, so that's that's what he was talking about. You can receive one. It detaches it and sends it as an email, but you can't send an MMS. So just a quick correction. Isn't that what uh, Viber could do then? I thought Viber could do those. There are other things that do it. Um, I don't remember. Uh, I mean, that I I don't remember offhand what they are. But you end up basically having to supplant Google Voice. It's it's a replacement for it, not a supplement. It would be nice if just right. Snapchat. Yes, yes, that's what I wanted. I want to give my eleven year old Snapchat. That's an excellent idea, Seth. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> not. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I, I just want to say I have moved into the realm of the geeks even more so. This weekend I bought, uh, uh, actually it was last, this this weekend I got two new SSDs. And so my crashy laptops that I've, all, that I've been complaining about. You know, remember I, I've said on the show many times, if you ever wanted to donate to the show, now's the time. Well, you guys came through and you did and you gave me enough money that I was able to upgrade uh, two of the hard drives and two of my laptops to SSD um, and so there should be no more crashy, crashy, and I'm excited about that. Uh, but you know, I, awesome. we've talked about this. You know, we did a whole show about SSDs, and we talked about the speed performance. But until you've experienced it, and this was my first time to experience it, you just don't know. Um, I mean, Amen, brother. I I did not realize until I bought my the laptop I do the show on, and now my Windows 8 toy uh, thing it has an SSD drive. Things are flying around my computer now now i now i hate the fact i don't have more bandwidth because <laughs> <Yeah>. my <laughs> my hardware can handle it finally yeah it's funny because uh, you that you mentioned that because i i click on firefox and it goes boop, it's open and then it just sits there i used to it was queuing both the bandwidth and the app up and so it, it didn't seem to be like i had to wait so long but now boop, the window's up and there's no web page waiting 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 <laughs> Yep. Oh, there's the web page. So, uh, yeah, I can go from where I am right now on, on my uh, laptop that I'm pr- producing the show on at this moment. I can go from straight here to a full reboot and back to here in 40 seconds. And that's impressive. How do I know that? Yes, that I timed bad. it. Yes. Why do you ask? <laughs> because you could. <laughs> yes. Why not? Um, why if, wouldn't you? That, that's it, that's the deeper it. question. Why, <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't, wouldn't you, you time it? Because <laughs> I can. Uh, anyway, um, and and not quite uh, germane this week, but we're, it held over from last week's notes. Thirty years ago, last week, a lady couldn't find her beef. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It it. It made it into pop culture, and if you're not, like, close to our age, you don't understand, where's the beef? 
Well, you need the you need the YouTube. Where's the beef? And yes. watch those commercials because they're awesome. And that old lady, January tenth, nineteen eighty four, was whenever it debuted. Where's the beef? <laughs> those were just those were that was that put Wendy's on the map. There wouldn't be Wendy's wouldn't exist the way it is today if it hadn't been for those commercials. The lady's name, the actress, was Clara Peller. And she was fired for later finding the beef in a jar of ragu homestyle tomato sauce. Um, yes. Prior to that, ragu hadn't made sauce with meat in it. They had just made uh, tomato sauce. Well, they, they introduced a new line of, of sauce with, with beef. And she did a commercial saying, ah, there it is. That's all she said. She didn't make any reference to Wendy's. It was just her in her outfit and said, ah, there it is. And Wendy's canned her right on the spot. <laughs> Go figure, though. Little little bit of history yeah. that I just remember because I'm a geek. And, and you got it right because I, I read the whole I read all about the story whenever uh, um I came across this. So you are you are correct, sir. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. Now move on over. The next guest is coming onto the couch. And that next guest is listener Gordon, who offers a little bit of follow up. Uh, based on one of our previous shows, he says, I loved your episode on the history of communications. Uh, speaking of the Marconi Wireless, a few years ago for the 100th anniversary, anniversary of the Titanic, the BBC did a nice little project. They gathered up all the communication re- records from the Marconi operators on the various ships and land stations. From this, they were able to recreate the entire set of radio traffic that went on that night. They took the transcript and made a BBC Discovery special out of it. And he provides the links that I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Since dots and dashes are a bit boring and incomprehensible to most of us today, they did the whole thing with a synthetic synthetic computer-generated speech using a different voice for each of the radio stations to keep unemotional and the technical feel of the radios. It starts with routine messages. Titanic was passing to the land stations before the disaster and some ship traffic. And it's very chilling to hear the Titanic suddenly pause mid-sentence and then CQD. This is the Titanic starts uh going out it continues all the way through the disaster until afterwards when the carpathia starts sending back a list of survivors a great piece of history and i think any geek would find it interesting the way it was done that does sound interesting gordon and i will check that out yeah yeah i want to have to look at that (laughs) that'll be awesome and i said that i was going to put the links in but i neglected to copy that into the notes so note to self grab those links i'm sure you could google it or bing it if you prefer Alta Vista it, if you want. No, um, no, we, we don't bing here. I, I refuse to bing. Even though I do admit they make hands down the much better commercials. Yes. I loved all the Los links, but I, I hate bing. No bing for you. Come back two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and moving right along, t- uh, Tony likes eels. By the way, I've noticed listening back to the show, I use moving right along far too often as a transition. I'm going to try to fix that. It's going to make that one of my New Year's goals to to not say moving right along quite so often. But moving right along, Tony <laughs> likes eels, and he says, I love the show about the history of communication. Thank you for all of your hard work. Also, eelslap.com is a great find. Tony from the Sunday Morning Linux Review. So a little shout out there to another Linux podcast that is actually about Linux. You might want to check out Sunday Morning Linux Review. Tony is a regular in our chat room, a regular listener to the show, and a pretty darn good guy. So, uh, And he likes eels. Who knew? No, no, no. He likes uh, being slapped by eels. So. Or other people. Maybe he, yeah, I was going to say maybe he likes slapping people with eels. 
Okay. I yeah. guess that would be better than a, than the old trout, right? Yes. Yes, that's the standard IRC thing, right? Being slapped by a trout, which I think is from a Monty yep. Python sketch, isn't it? Yes. 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 That uh, <laughs> you need to. That sketch is awesome. It always oh, yeah. comes back need- to John Cleese and Eric Idle. No matter where you are in the world, the internet comes back to Monty Python eventually. Spam, uh, large trout. Um, yep. You know, it's the dead parrot is all over the internet. Um, it's just, it's just there. It's weird how that happens too, isn't it? How it all comes back to Monty Python jokes. Yeah, well. well, but they were so far ahead of their time. They are still hilarious today. That's how yeah. awesome Monty Python was. And the people who invented the internet, with the exception of Al Gore, I'm sure, are all huge <laughs> Monty Python fans because they have the humor that geeks love. That's so, true. of course, you know, while the Monty Python might be a small subset of the overall population, in terms of geeks, they are very heavily represented by geeks. And they'll never be so matched. There will never be a crew as good as the Monty Python crew. It's just they were... They were geniuses who came together in the most absurd ways, and they celebrated absurdity, and it was great. It, I still remember, and I thought it was so awesome, the soccer match with the philosophers. <laughs> yes. The, the first time I ever saw that was right at the end. I had just taken an intro to philosophy class, and so, you know, they were, he was talking about Kant says this and Nietzsche says that. And I was like, they're freaking nailing them. That is, yeah. and that's what made it so funny was they were getting it right and they weren't just saying absurd stuff, but they were saying the correct absurd stuff. One of my favorite recurring Monty Python sketches, and then we'll move on, is the Twit Olympics. The Olympics specifically Twit for inbred people. Yes. And that was awesome. Yeah. The 100 meter relay for people who can't swim. The gun goes off, they all jump in the water, and nothing and happens. And the announcer says, well, we'll come back in a few minutes after they fish the bodies out, and we'll let you know who got the farthest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while we're on the subject of quality entertainment, Joe hates quality entertainment and had to come in and, and write in to tell us uh, about it. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, I feel, I feel for you that you have been denied such joy uh, so here's what he says. EDL hosts, I'm writing to tell you that Sharknado has finally made its way to Netflix. Yay! Either the Sci-Fi Channel has a fantastic marketing department or Netflix will pay for anything. I suppose there could be a third option. The Netflix paid very little and Sci-Fi was amazed that could ever make a dime and just jumped on the first offer. I can't see any other plausible explanations. No way there was a large-scale negotiation around a big conference table with Sci-Fi marketing executives rattling off the accolades of Shark NATO in a high-pressure sales pitch to the Netflix executives. Could any of you keep a straight face while attempting to sell Sharknado for money? Me either. I did manage to watch almost half of this film, uh, for which I the blame surely rests with you. I recorded it off of Sci-Fi back in the summer when you guys wouldn't shut up about it. I watched about ten minutes, never even saw Tara Reid, and then I saw it on Netflix and watched a few minutes more. Long enough to IMDB a couple of the other actors and feel bad for Tara Reed. Speaking of which, I don't know exactly how I feel. I feel sad for her because she's in Sharknado and the acting, oh, the horror. But at the same time, she should probably be grateful to have gainful employment. I didn't know it was possible to feel both happy and sad for someone in the same moment in time for the same reason. Kudos to Sci-Fi for managing to sell it or give it away. 
I can't quite form an opinion of Netflix. Either shame on you for paying good money for that, or kudos for supporting starving artists with charitable donations. Thanks for giving <laughs> me the idea that I could make it through this movie. That's 42 minutes. I'll never get back. Regards, Joe. P.S. Lennox! Okay, Joe, I'm going to start <laughs> off on this one. First of all, we told you it was bad. That's the whole and we point. We told you it was very bad and exceedingly bad, and that is what made it great. And second of all, you should just feel sorry for Tara Reed because she was by far the worst thing in that movie. So, um, if, if feeling sorry for Tara Reed is the best you got out of Sharknado, she was, <laughs> she was awful in a bad way. She wasn't awful like shooting a shark flying through the air at 200 feet with a 38 pistol that had already fired 10 shots bad. She was just pathetic. So um, I'm a Tara Reid fan, um, but she kind of phoned it in on Sharknado. So we told you it was you bad, and it was so bad, it was <laughs> awesome. So sorry, Joe. Uh, we'll try to do better next time, and we'll let you know when something's really, really bad. So just out of curiosity, I typed in Tara Reed into Google to see what came up. And, you know, the Google does the whole uh, um, uh, suggestion thing. I typed in Tara Reed, and the first thing it suggested was wardrobe malfunction. So apparently she's she's known for other things too. Tara Reed wardrobe malfunction. I, I didn't click on it. I don't know what it is. I, I'm lying to you. I'm actually watching it right now. But, uh, <laughs> but there you go. There's another reason to feel sorry for her at least. And, and like Seth said, we told you it was bad. You can't be surprised that this movie was bad. It was intentionally bad, we think. Uh, we know it was bad. We told you it was bad. We told you to watch it because it was bad. So don't uh, don't go be blaming us because you watched a bad movie. Yes, it was in <laughs> fact a bad movie. It was very bad, but that's the point. Exactly. Yeah, uh, they. It was it was so bad. It was great because <laughs> had they taken themselves as seriously as Tara Reid did in this movie, it would have been much crappier. <laughs> but. <laughs> Who is Tara Reid? I, mean, I mean, obviously, I know from the context she's the hot chick from the show, but I've never is no, she something? She's not the hot chick. Oh, okay. She's the um, she's the ex-wife in the in the movie. That's okay. Tara Reid. No, the hot chick. She was hot, but uh, is she somebody you know, I should Reed? know? I mean, has she been in something? Is she famous? I, I don't know. She, uh, she was in the um, I should I uh, what was out. the American Pie movie? I never saw any of those. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, she was in a whole bunch of others around that time. So that explains Ben Wilder. I think she was in. Oh, Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Born in Wickham. No, wait. That's where she's. That's not the movie. Uh, I was just reading the summary on IMDb. Uh, She's been in uh, Sharknado, Last Call, American Reunion, Fields, Big Lebowski Two. None of these are familiar to me at all. Um, the crow wicked scrubs. Okay. She was on TV. I've heard of that. Um, quintuplets. I don't even want to know. Yeah. Um, I don't want to know that one. Dr. T and the women. Oh, my wife made me watch that movie. It was bad, but not in a good way. Um, cruel intentions. Big Lebowski days of our lives. So she's a soap opera Uh, actress. There you go. My boss's daughter. Did you see that one? No, I never heard of it. Okay. Um, if it was made in the so, last 11 years and doesn't involve a singing tree or a dancing squirrel, I haven't seen it. 
Okay. Yeah. She wouldn't, uh, she was kind of like, uh, the college age from about 10, think about 10 to 15 years ago. She was the college age hottie that was in the, the stupid comedy movies. Okay. That's pretty much it. Yep. Well, then Sharknado is right up her alley, apparently, but she, she wasn't good enough yeah. to get the lead role. The lead hottie. Yeah. Role. She phoned it in for Sharknado. <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of phoning it in. This would be a good time to go to a voicemail if we had one. But we do have a frequent voicemail contributor, Door, who has some Minecraft goodness for for us. We had a, 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 I can't remember his name, a couple of weeks ago, wanted to turn an old server into a Minecraft server. And we talked about how uh, Minecraft is not awesome on Linux. Well, apparently some guys set out to fix that. Door says, hey, guys, Linux is the home of the custom niche. Abuse that fact. And he provides a link to Minecraft.CodeEmo. What a great name. Emo. CodeEmo.com, where it's a custom, one-off, turnkey, uh, Linux-based Minecraft server. So you download the ISO, you put it in, you click install, boom, you've got a Minecraft server. Hmm. Boom goes the dynamite. There it is. There you go. <laughs> Just uh, I still don't think it would work very good though on that particular instance that he was trying to run it on that low powered. Yeah, I tend to agree. You know, you know, I you know, you may get it to compile and you may get it to install, but I don't think it's gonna be functional. Oh, okay. Well, but sometimes me. just the challenge of doing it is. Yeah, sure. I'm with you on that. Hey, this is just a. Something just popped into my head that I've had anything to do with anything. Uh, you know, I've talked to you a lot about my my coffeeness that I've been working on. So this is a question to the listeners: If I were to sell my coffee, would you buy it? Just send send me an email, tweet me, text me, whatever. I just want to know. Yeah, if you know my phone number, you can text me. Uh, I just want to know if I sold it, would you buy it? Because people keep telling me I need to sell it, but those people never offer me money for it. So I'm just wondering, should I go through the trouble of, of of packaging it and creating a label and figuring out how to ship it? Is there an audience there? So hmm. just a quick question that I thought I'd throw out there before we got to the tech news. And Seth uh, brought us a ton of news last week and then added to it this week. So um, <laughs> there's no way we're going to get to it all. But first off, this is just weird. Um, man jailed. For sending a G, uh, uh, sending a Gmail an, an invite email. to yeah. his, to his ex girlfriend, my brain just locked up, and there were no words coming. It was like stuttering of the mind there. So a man went to jail because Gmail sent an invite to his ex girlfriend. I'm guessing there was a restraining order involved. Yes, um, yeah, they were like, says. yeah, the ex-girlfriend had got a um, a restraining order against him. And apparently because, you know, there's a lot of history between them and he did something on Google Plus and Google, because it knows what you really want to do. It had like a default where it sent her an email invitation. And even though he didn't expressly do it, it violated the restraining order and he, uh, he got put in jail, so uh, he was released on five hundred dollars bail. And I really, I haven't looked at this story since last week, so I don't know um, what the resolution of it was. But G, um, Google Plus sending out an email automatically without him knowing it was enough to land him in jail for violating a restraining order. 
That's a pretty strict restraining order. If a an yeah, email, if a Gmail invite, he must be a bad dude, or or at least she convinced a judge he was. Um, well, I mean, come on, are you you know, I'll, if, well. I'm, I'm, careful, careful. We're not going to go off on the legal We're system. We're not going to read into be, that one. going to be good. I, I think we may have one female listener. Let's not alienate her. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a worst case scenario. Google uh, pres- presumed. Now, the, the article did say that he added her email address to Google+. So the, her address, probably it said, can we scan your address book? And he said, okay, and her email address was still in her, in her address book. So I, I believe the guy that it, he didn't mean to, um, but, you know, the law is the law, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then that, that also brings up a sticky spot, though, because how many of those services do auto-scanning of people's in, in, you know, Facebook does it, LinkedIn does it, Google does it now? That's a liability, though, if they start sending out invites without you expressly saying, yes, do this. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All I can say is yes. I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, you guys- so keep your personal life separate from your uh, virtual life, and you'll be okay. Right. Don't email <laughs> girlfriends. Actually, the the moral of this story is don't do anything that gets you a restraining order. order. That's That would have <laughs> solved this problem from the beginning. Um, yes. I, I, a woman I used to work with had a great saying. She said, every morning I wake up, and my goal is simply to not be on the evening news. I like that. <laughs> I like it. Uh, speaking of news, Nintendo's very popular 3DS uh, is about to cost them a bunch of money. Apparently, they didn't invent Ooh. all the technology in it. Uh, you, well, that doesn't surprise uh, me. Darn you, Google. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, Google. Uh, a U.S. District Judge Jed Rakoff has ordered the company Nintendo to pay 1.82% of the wholesale price of its 3DS for every one it sells to a Ford to a company called Tomita after Nintendo was found to be using patented camera technology without permission. Hmm. Yeah, and this one didn't seem to be so much a patent troll thing has um you know, and there was a similar thing. I think it was Microsoft when they originally released their Xbox. They had like the rumble controller thing and they had to pay royalties on it. So this is one of those. And the company didn't get all they were wanted to because they were wanting a higher percentage of the retail price of the uh, DS instead of the wholesale price that Nintendo actually gets. So, you know, Nintendo lost, but they didn't lose as big as the other company. Um, wanted them to lose now originally a jury had uh awarded tomita 30.2 million dollars but the judge vacated that ruling saying it was excessive um and went instead uh cut that damages down to 15.1 so he cut that in half so they've already paid 15.1 million dollars to tomita and now they're having to pay 1.82 percent of the wholesale price so it's a penalty in perpetuity yeah Right, but you know it's it's one of those things. Had they, you know, worked out a licensing deal right. on the uh, on the design they were using, they would have to pay for it anyway. So, I guess they just thought they could, you know, get a better deal through the courts than the company was trying to give them. Maybe don't steal. There's the moral of that story. Yep. Yeah. Don't yep. get a restraining order against you, Nintendo, and everything will be okay. <laughs> 
And uh, just more proof that uh, Apple iPhone users are rich white snobs. I added the white. Just rich snobs. Um, Apple users spent $10 billion on apps in 2013. Well, I guess that fits for the iPay phone. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, $10 billion. So now, again, that's not all the, you know... That's not all uh, goes to Apple. The developers get a lot right. of that. But yeah, the Apple gets seventy percent. Yeah, the App Store was a ten billion dollar um, marketplace last year. So that's freaking huge. Um, there's a, there's an interesting Apple- psychology uh, that I think iPhone users are less prone to than we Android users. I have a device in my hand that I paid four hundred dollars ish for. Um, I pay for my cell phone and my wife's cell phone and our data. I pay between 120 and 150 a month for it. So I have a lot invested in this device. And I'm cruising through the app store and I see something. 99 cents. Ooh, I don't know. That's a little steep. Um, <laughs> and I think that's just an Android mindset. I think the app, uh, iPhone people go, eh, it's a buck. And just go on with it. That could very well could be. I know when I look at my Android device and I see the price tags on stuff, you know, that I've seen apps that are, I ended up having to choke myself back when I bought it because I was like, oh, that's $4. Yeah. I, I just can't. It took a lot of, a lot of research to push that button for a $4 app. Yeah, I know. And even the, and even the dollar apps, it's still painful to hit that buy button. Yeah, but so you'd pay four dollars for a cup of tea at a fancy place without thinking about it. No, yeah, I kind of. I make my own tea. <laughs> I refuse to buy the apps. Like when I bought my Windows Eight tablet, I got a twenty-five dollar credit to the Microsoft gift store or app store. I'm probably going to lose it because it expires in six months. I have yet <laughs> to purchase anything through any type of app store because there's no compelling reason for me to do it. Um, I know I'm cheap, but just like, I'm, I, it just, you know, they just have this mindset of, you know, I'm not going to spend, we won't, you won't spend $50 with this, but we'll get you to spend $1 50 times. And, um, the nickel and diamond to death is just something that infuriates me and I hate them for it. Um, there you go. Yet another reason I hate Apple. <laughs> if anybody's, well, any that. of the, that, that's any app store at this point. I mean, yeah. even Androids is that way because, uh, like, look at the latest version of Plants vs. Zombie. Uh, you start out with, you know, it's a free download, and then if you want all the extra bells and whistles, you pay for it and the levels and everything else. So, or if you want them unlocked early, they nickel and dime you all the way down. So yeah, it, it's just it's just the marketplace at this point in time that if you want stuff you're going to pay for it regardless if you're spending the $20 up front for everything or the $2 to get the app and then a dollar every week because you want the extra bells and whistle I downloaded an app recently there was a free version and a paid version and the the free version had app uh, had ads okay I'm fine with that for what I'm willing to do for this and I used the free version for three days and then it stopped working and said you've completely finished your trial if you'd like to continue to use it by the pro version nowhere on it did it say it was a trial version the name wasn't trial none of the documentation said trial nowhere in the uh, app at any point did it say it was a trial until the trial had run out 
that's oh, that's the kind of bait and switch I hate. And so now I will never buy not only that app but any app from that company ever again because they treated yep. me with disrespect. Yep. And and you know the entire time that app was running, they're serving ads and making money off those ads. Exactly. So that's yeah. You know who's making it's money? Garbage. Sony is making money on the PS4. They were the first to release oh, over yeah. the Xbox One, and they actually had games even though the, the Xbox One seemed to have forgotten that part. And so they've jumped out to an early lead. Yeah, the, the data is a little bit dated now, but they sold 4.2 million PS4 units as of December the 28th. Um, you know, it's a whole lot more than um, analysts were predicting, and it's a whole lot more than the Xbox One that Microsoft was uh, touting. And I think another thing to note, is that Sony seems to do this at a much lower price point because Microsoft claims that they lose money um, on all the devices they sell and that they're selling them for a loss. Um, and, of course, Sony does it at the very beginning, but they seem to break over into the positive territory a lot quicker. Well, I would guess that goes to the fact that they've been making manufacturing PlayStation units for how many years now? They have probably have their factories tooled to a point that they just yeah, we we want this and spit it out at at, at the cheapest cost it's possible. Uh, you also don't, and then there's also the the fanboyism that comes into play there too, because I don't ever remember hearing about a PlayStation ever going bad and getting an Xbox, you know, the Xbox Ring of Death. Never heard of any <laughs> PlayStation threes getting that. So I think it just goes no, there to were show. Some. What were there some? I oh oh, or let me put it this way: the my friend circle. That are, you know, I have a pretty deep <laughs> circle of gaming friends. And every one of them that had an Xbox returned their Xbox at least twice because of Red Ring. And the one, the other ones that had Xbox and PlayStation 3s, they never returned their PlayStation 3s, even though they used them the same amount of time on both systems. So maybe PlayStation just has a better manufacturing system or a better... Uh, quality control so they don't have to deal with the loss of you know dead machines or refurbishing or you know how uh, that was a huge issue for the xbox 360 well that's been microsoft's way of doing things forever ship first perfect later uh yep. so you know that's yeah, just sort Sony of, the the other way. of them. Well, yeah and sony's a hardware company so whereas microsoft is a yeah. software company trying to be a hardware company though. they're definitely making that transition um yeah I'm going to skip over their Humble Indie Bundle because by the time this show comes out, it'll be done. There was one. There will be another one moving right along. Um, <laughs> Red Hat has decided to stop fighting CentOS. Yay. It's about yeah, time, they're, uh, what I think. They're kind of not really taking over the CentOS community, but they're joining it in a big way. So they they basically acknowledge their offspring and progenity and are working to make it even better to kind of strengthen their um their cred in the Linux circle. So I think it's a I think it's a good thing all around. It it can't make it can't help but make CentOS better. Um, you know, the collaboration can't help but make Red Hat better. Um, Red Hat obviously doesn't have a problem getting customers because, you know, granted in the terms of big software players, they're not big, but you know, they've broke the billion dollar barrier and they're continuing to growing. So I think it's just a win for everybody. I think a lot of this has to go down to the same idea that they're doing what 
Red Hat is doing to Fedora, to Scent is what they did to Fedora. I think they're going to, they're, they're saying that yes, this is a, a, it's our base, but if you want the support, come here. If you don't want the support, go there. And it's the same thing they do for Fedora. Yeah. And so, so basically think- what's, what's been going on is, uh, when Fedora releases, or excuse me, Red Hat releases something, CentOS would strip out all of the Red Hat specific stuff and just redistribute the open source parts of it. Perfectly legal, nothing wrong with that, perfectly appropriate. But sometimes that means you you didn't get some of the cool uh, advancements, some of the the driver tweaks and and things that that were proprietary. Red Hat has basically said, we're going to give you, we're going to let you use all of us now, even some branding, um, without... And we're gonna we're gonna absorb you. We're gonna give you people to work with, and we're gonna um, uh, accept some work from you. Uh, and so it's good. It's a symbiotic relationship. It really is. Yeah, I, I don't think there'll be anything bad coming from this. I think it'll be a good thing all the way around. Uh, I just wish it would have happened sooner. But now the question I always like to bring up: um, we had I had this talk with a couple of my Linux buddies. Is what happens to to scientific Linux? Because that's that was scientific Linux it was their big draw was the fact that they are a Red Hat clone just like Scent, but they were a little bit faster at how fast they ripped their their brandings off, so they were out faster than CentOS was. Um, that this might you know uh, th- this might kill off scientific OS, leaving only eight million three hundred ninety seven thousand four hundred ninety six point one distros <laughs> in the world. I think we'll yes. be okay. But yeah, what I what I see here is uh, Fedora is going to go. They they have been trying to do the hybrid desktop uh, server thing. I think Fedora is going to dump servers and let the CentOS team focus on that, and Fedora is going to work all desktop. That's that's the way I see this going, and I think it's a good thing. Yes, I do too. I I totally agree, and I can't wait to find to start seeing um, talk in the Fedora camps and, and what's going to happen. I think that's a the right play for all three distributions. Yeah, trim the fat, focus on what you're good at, and do it very well instead of splitting your resources and duplicating effort. I mean, you don't really need a million people trying to invent the wheel every day when there's already a thousand different variations of the wheel sitting right beside you. So just focus on your thing um, and let them focus on theirs. Get your focus better, and then it'll be a better product all the way around. From your lips um, no. to the open source community's ears, Seth. That that has been my gripe about open source forever. Is they keep rehashing the same stuff. Yep. They won't build something. You you can't you can't take uh, also define it as the the Linux sound system and move on. No, you've got to keep working on the Linux sound system. There's something there. It's stable. It's good. Stop messing with it and go on. And the open source community just never does that. They they always want to make a better wheel. Well, you know, right. I don't mind the fact that there's a couple of different ones but pick one of the three or four major ones and give up dude you've been trying to get to stable release 1.0 for the past 17 years <laughs> maybe you should give it up and help somebody else who's already on version 4 to make their product better it it's one less thing out there that keeps people away from us and then you know you get the pride that you're actually able to finish something you don't have to try to know everything you can specialize the other person can specialize and you can turn out some great products instead of having a bunch of 
average products, a few good products and one or two great ones. We can have several great ones and then a few more good ones and then some other average ones. I, I don't think there should only be one distro, but I don't think there needs to be a new distro every hour either. Some kind of medium would be good. Well, going on the sound thing, I think it would be nice to actually have a standard set forth by, even if one of the distros pick a standard and stick to it instead of the flip-flop. I I think that would be nice too, because I know there for a long time also was, was King, and then it was John. I think it was John. Is that the right one? Uh, I don't remember. But anyway, and now it's Pulse. Jack. Jack. Jack Jack. Audio. Yep, Jack. So, you know, we, we need to find something and have, you know, one of the made, the, one of the big three see that this is the line and say, if you're going to be a red hat distribution, pulse is the key. Make pulse work. Regardless of anything else, pulse must work or also, or whatever the kicker is. But without any of the big three drawing a line in the sand, it's never going to happen. Okay. Well, and unfortunately, we can't do that because then there will be a certain percentage of the developers who say, "Uh, well, they can't tell me what to do. I'll take my code and go home. Last stable. No, I'm not going to take my hat and go home. I'm going to take my hat and I'm going to call it something else, and I'm going to set up shop right beside them and open up a new shop. And we won't have Red Hat. We'll have Mauve Hat right beside. (laughs) You know. And then down the road, there'll be Violet hat. Hat. And chartreuse hat, and then some weirdo will have pink hat, and we don't we'll know we'll know what's going on. Uh, that's true, and but, but what, that's the fragmentation sorry. that is the strength and weakness of Linux. It is indeed. It is both the strength and we. I mean, we have Minecraft OS, right? A turnkey solution there. Um, that's a strength, but also it's one guy who decided to do something nobody else was doing. Uh, you could see that as a weakness too. Um, and on, on the sort of in the same vein here, we've got a a trio of of Steam and Valve stories uh, about how uh, Valve didn't was going to use Ubuntu but couldn't, and then they decided they were going to be hardware manufacturers, and they said they're not. Let's just talk about Steam for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I think it's pretty cool, and I hope they stick to this of not manufacturing a steam box but instead working with oems to have um their own different steam boxes because you know like alienware has um a steam box coming out cyber power pc um there's a whole bunch of different names and some of them are pretty noticeable and the cool thing about this is you know there won't be one new steam box every 10 every three or four years like a playstation or an xbox you'll have like new models coming out regularly that you know will upgrade the the graphics or the processor or or something you know you'll have regular release cycles as long as i don't know again i don't know that we need 12 different companies making steam boxes but i think having a few different ones in there will be a pretty will be a good thing if the steam box takes off I really hope it takes off. Um, well, as far as what, what my thought is on the Steam Box, is I, I think it's a good idea that Valve isn't putting their hat in that vein as well. Um, they that that would again, you know, they'd muddy the waters. They do a great job at doing Steam. Let them stay doing Steam, and let these OEM manufacturers figure out a way to make a better box. Um. 
I think that's the 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 point of Steam is, and, I, and from what I've been reading about this, um, is what Gabe's idea is too. At least at this point, you know, down the road it may be different when they actually say, "Hey, now wait a minute, you OEMs aren't doing this the way we were wanting it. This is our vanilla box, kind of like the Nexus is for Google." You know, I see that maybe down the road, but until then, I think this this is a good way to be. And uh, while we're talking about Steam OS, let's let's answer a question that uh, some geeks have had: Why is it based on Debian? Um, and when pressed, Gabe Newell simply said, "Legal reasons." Um, a, an English translation of his German statement says, quote, because of legal uncertainties regarding some additional components, they changed on the verge of completion to Debian. So they were going straight ahead with uh, Ubuntu, and, you know, uh, Ubuntu is not as open as Debian, plain yep. and simple. And they decided they didn't want to deal with the vagaries of that. And, I, you know, good for them. Good for them, honestly. So that way they don't end up in, in a weird spot down the road when either Steambox, you know, blows the doors off everybody or slowly dies off, but at least they don't have to deal with the legalities as much. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing too, because, you know, especially with the way, um, um, Ubuntu has come out with the, um, you know, tying in your search, your search results with Amazon by Amazon by default and the way they're monkeying with the back end and kind of blurring the line between local and network. You know, you would kind of have that going on at the same time you have your steam connection going on and it could just be a heartache and you don't know, am I getting this has a steam um, thing or is this is some uh, Ubuntu secret sauce, you know, ad selling to make them money. Um, so I think it's a good thing for them. Again, you know, I'm, I am very grateful for all the work that Ubuntu does in advancing Linux overall. But as far as using them as a basis for the Steam box, I don't think that is the best thing for Steam or the Linux community. Here's somebody else who did something sort of right. Uh, OpenSUSE got hacked. Wait a minute. That's not right. No, what is right is they didn't get anything really useful. They got a list of usernames and email addresses. Why? Because the OpenSUSE forums keep their passwords on a separate server. Way to go, OpenSUSE. That this yeah, could have been a awesome. very different news story. Yeah, so you know, yay, the spammers got a you know, if maybe a, maybe one or two email addresses they didn't already know out of this. Um, you know, and if they wanted to, they can run and try the default list of you know, rhymes with hash word or something like that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to kind of, to see if they can hack some of the accounts. But I, I like the way they did this and hopefully this will be a model that more and more people will take, you know, so it would take two separate break-ins to get your information. Yeah. They just, we don't have to make it easy for them. Yeah. Um, There's no reason not to. It's not that difficult. So why not do it? Uh, and it's a totally different story, but it, it warms my heart as an old time, as an old guy. Uh, the old Linksys WRT54G is being resurrected, but with open source built in. Ooh. Yes, because um, 
I did not know this until I read this story, but you know, Linksys used to be owned by Cisco, but Cisco yes. has sold it to Belkin. And so Belkin actually owns the Linksys uh, intellectual property. Um, and they are releasing. And again, it doesn't look exactly like it, but if you see the picture, you know, it's a nice homage to the old yes. blue Linksys router that really made wireless popular, um, for everyone. Uh, and you, it had been December 2002 when that Linksys blue blue router was originally released. And there's still a lot of them out there in and around the, uh, in and around the world today. Yeah. yeah I've got two I've of had, them. I was going to say, there's a, there's three of them right in my neck, my, in my local neighborhood. Um, and the only reason I know is because they're still broadcasting the defaults. <laughs> I have one right here. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking there at you one go. right here. It's not plugged it, in. It, anything. I've got a couple. Uh, that was. It, you know, I those... was going to play with it and put tomato on it for our yep. show upcoming. I was just going to ask if you guys put tomato on it yet or not, or yeah. DDWRT. Not yet. Oh, Seth, and the news just keeps on going. This one, I, I'm only going to talk about this because I love you, Seth. WebOS isn't dead yet. It's the new Mego. It's the zombie <laughs> OS. You know, I. Com or 3Com developed a great operating system. 3Com was a freaking awesome company, and they thought, what can we while. do to make money? We'll sell off every single thing we do. And so, uh, but yeah, so they developed WebOS, and, you know, and it was spun out through Palm and all that kind of stuff. But LG is using WebOS as their um, smart TV interface. Um, you know, I guess because... You know, maybe they just didn't want, uh, Android, um, and Google in their back pocket. Um, you know, they want to let them in through a side door or something, but it, yeah, LG TV is bringing back web OS has their, uh, smart TV OS du jour. Hmm. The screenshots look kind of cool. <laughs> you know, I'll give it that. The screenshots look cool, but I don't know if I would be really pleased about using it but i never used web os but all the reviews were positive all the only yeah. negatives that people had was that the hardware was crap uh but well and yeah. nobody was writing apps for it because there wasn't a large enough user base to sustain it right that that was really the the main thing i took away from all the only negative stuff is you know nobody uses it so there's no apps yeah well maybe that'll change now you know be the another the next zombie os but you know your TV. You don't want a whole bunch of apps on your TV. Things like um, Hulu, Netflix, maybe a YouTube app, and if you can do your Amazon Prime thing, you know maybe Showtime, HBO. But all of those apps are basically just the same app pointing to a different location right. to get their content from. So you really only need one app skinned a hundred different ways. Yeah, it's yeah. all RSS, really. Um, and and speaking of of Migo. Seth's favorite zombie OS, Migo uh, sort of gave birth to Tizen, uh, and Tizen looked like it was really going to make a comeback strong. Samsung was going was gonna to go all in on it until Japan's largest mobile carrier said, nah, maybe not. Yes, the um, Docomo, which um, 
they had they were talking with samsung to release a a tizan flavored os and they realized that you know the japanese smartphone market isn't growing fast enough to support an uh, additional operating system in addition to apple and google so you know apparently i guess windows just doesn't exist in japan but um but yes japan said no and again this isn't so much as japanese government it's the um their largest carrier said you know i just don't think so so we're not gonna we're not gonna carry you you know and why so the japanese in. smartphone market isn't growing fast enough everybody already owns two of them they were right. using s- smartphones when we were using phones hanging on the wall in the kitchen they're so far ahead of us on this that they all have two of them so no it's not growing right and you know and it's overwhelmingly android um in japan i think uh, apple has like 37 percent so a little over a third and then um you know almost two-thirds and you know I'm, i don't know maybe there's one or two people who still have a blackberry over there i, I don't know but do you, do you suppose any of them have the new uh, Firefox OS? You know, I don't know. But the the great thing about it is now you don't just have to have a phone to have the Firefox OS. Foxconn has kind of unofficially slash quasi-officially announced a Firefox tablet. And the specs on the tablet look freaking awesome. And if I did, I realized this the other day when I'm looking at all my computers and tablets that I have. I don't really use these for anything. Um, you know, I look at Facebook. They're web browsers. Play, yeah. Well, no, I play stupid games like uh, Solitaire and Free Cell and uh, Tripeaks. You know, just that's the kind of stuff I do uh, on my computers. I don't really use them for anything. So why would I go out and buy a Firefox OS just to access Facebook? I already have four different ways to access <laughs> Facebook. I don't need another one. Um and you probably have Firefox but, already installed on it. Yeah, that would be true. I could just I could just add my <laughs> Firefox plugins directly and um Yeah. But yeah, so the InFocus tablet, you know, two gigs of RAM, uh flash drive, uh dual cameras front and back, capacitive touch. It's really the hardware specs are like kind of spot on with the upper echelon of what's coming out in the Android community. So I always want to put my hand on one. I, I I've always wanted to play with it. I just, you know, color me the the tinkerer. Well, I you know that's that's like one this. of the problems with our Amazon world is you can't do that anymore. You know, everything's yep. bought online. It lives online. You can't go to the store and play with it. And and I that is that is something we're losing. You know, like we've already lost the with the exception of a few places in the world, the guy at the hardware store that knows everything. Now you go to the big orange box store and you get somebody who may or may not know anything. That's gone. And Wait now a minute. The, you can get someone at the big orange box store? How do you do that? <laughs> like I said, may or may not. Uh, <laughs> he's going to have an apron on. Whether he knows anything is a different story. Um, interesting bit of trivia. You know why their colors are orange and white? When they opened their first store, the uh, paint store down the street had orange paint for free because nobody was buying it. So they painted a big <laughs> orange tarp. A little bit of history. There, there. you go. There I, you go. That's I, a good one. These things just fall out of my brain. I, I often refer to my brain as a dryer with a with a broken door. As things are tumbling around in it, the door falls open and something tumbles out. You never know what it's going to be, and you never know if it's going to be unmentionable or not. Uh, that's just the way my brain works. So uh, 
free paint because nobody would buy the orange. Um, See, wait a minute. There wasn't a big market for orange paint. I, I can't imagine that. <laughs> not back then. The, not not it, it, apparently it wasn't around UT. Um, but you know what wasn't on sale? Nest wasn't on sale. Google paid a freaking ton of money. I, probably more than a ton, depending on how you uh, paid it out. Three point two billion with a B. It wasn't three point one four one five. Three point two billion dollars. Google bought Nest. What does Nest do? Not a whole lot. They make a thermostat. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Uh, it they that's their attempt at getting more into the smart home thing. Um, you know, the cool thing about the Nest learning, it's a learning thermostat. So it kind of, it tracks what you do and eventually gets to the point to where it just knows what you like and you don't ever have to adjust it. But, you know, you can adjust it over the internet through like either a browser or an iPhone app or something like that. Um, yeah, I looked up, I couldn't find a weird number that was 3.2. So I was like, you know, what did they pay? I was looking for some, you know, like natural number algorithm or something. I couldn't come up with anything for 3.2. So yeah, $3.2 billion to buy Nest thermostat. I guess, you know, I don't know. Maybe Larry Page saw the movie her and liked it. And (laughs) so he's like, Hey, let's do that. What can we do to get started? Uh, I know we'll buy a, we'll buy an internet learning thermostat company that gets us halfway there. Here's, here's what I think about that. The nest, uh, is a novel product, but I have a programmable thermostat that I have told it be this temperature at 5 PM and these temperature at 10 PM and this temperature at 7 AM. And I'm done. You know, they say about the Nest, you set it, it learns, you don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about mine. I programmed it once. When I installed it, I'm done. So I think it solves a problem that doesn't exist, but the Nest is pretty. It's a very beautiful piece of industrial hardware design, and Google can't make pretty stuff. So I think that's why they hired them. I think they hired them for their engineering. Uh, You know, they've been working with Motorola, they've been working with LG, but Google as a company has not produced anything aesthetically pleasing. They had the, what was it, the Q that was like a off sort of round ball with a corner on one end. It was weird. Um, And the Google Glass, we all know, are pretty much kick me signs. It's the modern version of the kick me sign. Uh, So I think that they're looking for somebody who can, who really knows industrial design. That's, that's my reading on that. Well, there's that, and there's also the fact that you know, like Seth was saying, this is a a gateway drug basically for getting into home automation. The Nest system is not just the thermostat. There's also smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors, and 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 everything else that goes with it. So, yeah, okay, it's it's a good buy. They'll they'll get their their feet in the door. But now the question will be: Is are they going to ruin it with the Google juice trying to push ads now for? Oh, look, your, your refrigerator runs too long. We need, you need a new therm, a new smart refrigerator that will, will automatically chill your stuff to the proper temperature and shut off. Yeah. I just, I don't do the whole home automation thing. Just, I don't like the idea of people knowing that much stuff about me. It's just, it's creepy. It, I welcome know, again, it. I want. My house to flush the toilet when my kids forget to, and turn the water off when they leave it running, and close the freaking garage door when it's six degrees outside and they've left it open. I want my house to do that sort of stuff. Seth, you don't have kids. That's why you're creeped out by it. Yep. I want it. I want it to be yep. the anti kid. Matter of fact, that's what you could call it 
anti-kid from Google. <laughs> I think they might get in a little bit of trouble with that. But yeah, there's there's a lot of things that the nest that that this would definitely the whole lights thing is a big one. Um, I wish I could have the. I was just pulling up Amazon to see what what's all over there, and that's elementop.com slash Amazon. There you go. But uh, <laughs> the uh, they have some things that tie into the Nest system, like the the Wiimote light switch, so you can control your lights from a smartphone app. Um, the price point is way too high. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if, if you could have that ability to, oh, look, they forgot to turn the lights off again. Boop. Lights are now off. But, you know, that again, that's a problem that's not a problem. They have, they've had motion sensors for years. When you leave the room, there's no more motion. It goes off. I have one yeah. right here in my own studio. When I walk out of the room, the light turns itself off. Occasionally, it turns itself off while I'm recording. We're not going to talk about that part. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the where I used to work, the school we built, we put motion sensors in every room. And it was a, it was a big joke. You know, it was like, oh, we're, we're going to have to, um, you know, wave our hands or whatever. They worked perfectly. And they still do. It's it's a again. It's a solution that has already been solved. There's a it's a yeah. it's not a problem anymore. Um, you can buy motion sensors to put in regular house uh, light switches. Uh, I put one. I had a hallway in my old house, and uh, there was only one switch in the middle of the hallway instead of one on either end. We just put a motion sensor on it. Problem solved. We were there 15 years. I never thought about it again. I don't need to buy a $65 per bulb solution so that my light will turn itself on and off. It's a it's yeah. a $6 motion sensor. Problem solved. Move on. Well, it put, put Get it's off my lawn. It's, it's not crazy controllable kids. by a phone. It's not controllable by my phone. <laughs> I want true. to be able to control it with my phone and my tablet everywhere I am because I want super duper control. Yeah, how do you know that motion sister worked when you weren't there? You need an app on your phone <laughs> that you can phone home to to verify I need a with nanny one of your cam watching my lights that it's not on. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, I think it's a yeah, it's AT and T commercial where the guy pushes a button on his phone and the TV goes off and the lights go off and the doors lock and the faucet turns off. Yep. Um, you know. That house is like a two point six million dollar house, not including the house itself. Uh, in yeah, that commercial and, or more. <laughs> I, I would Definitely. bet that the, the the smart stuff in there was probably twice that, if not more. All right, in our last segment before we get to the topic of the week, and we're only an hour in. Wow, the show never ends. Uh, this week in history, January nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. MS-DOS became infected. Yes, the first computer virus, uh, boot sector virus dubbed Brian, written by a couple of guys from Pakistan who did it to supposedly protect their software that they had written from piracy. The One of the neat things about it is the way it was written, it would only infect floppy drives, and so it wouldn't infect the hard drive of the computer. They wrote it in such a way that it wouldn't totally screw your machine, just some of the media you used. Well, that's and so yeah, nice this, of them. This week in history, 1986, when Texas was celebrating its sesquicentennial. <laughs> wow. You whipped out the word sesquicentennial on us. Um yeah, if you were that's a, Texan, a pretty smart word. Yeah, that's that was a big deal. We had our own special sesquicentennial license plates back then. Um, yep. Uh, oh wow! 
you totally blew my transition, so I'm just going to say <laughs> Linux Academy is your place to go to learn all sorts of cool stuff. LinuxAcademy.com, where you can get step-by-step video courses designed to take you from being a Linux novice to a Linux administrator. Now, that's a big goal, Linux novice to Linux administrator through just this one website. Can they do it? Yes, they can. How do we know they can do it? They have done it. They've been doing it. If you log into their system with their newly redesigned console, you click on the module section and look at what's available. You click the LPIC Level 1, which is the introductory uh, Linux uh, administration. You look through there and you see it's going to take you X number of hours and here's the courses you got to do and, and here's the quizzes you got to take. Quizzes? Yes, quizzes! When you're done, you can take a quiz and it'll it'll test you and it'll track your knowledge. You can see how well you've done. Not only that, when you're all through with that, you can take a practice test. And when you're ready and you've passed the practice test, you can go get your LPIC certification. And that's just one of the modules they have there. They have over 200 videos. They have a lesson browser. They, they can track your progress. They have all these great things. Plus, something we don't mention that often, the Linux Academy for team. So if you want to set something up for your employees or your students, as I'm often uh, want to point out, uh, you can you can do that and you can uh, track their progress and, and get reports. At, but what? Wait a minute. What if what if I'm I don't want to watch all these videos online? What if I'm Seth and I live out in the middle of nowhere and I don't have the bandwidth for this? No problem. They'll send you a DVD with everything on it. What's the everything? Well, not just the videos, but the PDF study guides, the quizzes, um, the uh, um, virtual lab you get up to eight different servers they host them on uh, amazon's aws so they're lightning fast and you can do what you want to do as you're watching a video you can actually do it on a real server but it's a safe environment you don't have to toast your production server you can do it on their uh, hosted servers or on the dvd they send you if you want how much you're going to pay for all this chris how much you're going to pay for all this well, for the first 14 days, it's only a dollar. Can you believe that? Just a dollar for the first 14 days? And that's just to try it. And if you really like it, like we know you're going to, it's $19 a month. That's it. $19 a month to learn all of the stuff that you're going to need to know to do administration work on the Linux and be proficient and not just, oh, look, I looked at this book once and now I know it's over there. But that's not all. Learn. Not only can you cut through a tin can and still slice a tomato. <laughs> For $19 a month, if you bundle it and you want to buy three months, we call that a quarter in the business, that's only $38. That's buy two months, get a third month free. $38 for three solid months of learning. Seth, how much would you expect to pay for something like that somewhere else in the world? Well, you know, Mark, funny you should ask that. I've been looking through um, the web since you started this commercial trying to find some things. And I found a lot of places where you having to call and give them all types of information to get a price from them. But, um, if you just want, I can't find any numbers. Sorry. <laughs> but in the past, when I've done this, I found courses ranging from a hundred dollars for a single course and upwards to thousand dollars for a boot camp type environment that you don't get all of the resources available to you that Anthony provides for you over at Linux Academy. So great stuff led by great people for almost no money. Just do it. Just go and do it and tell them we sent you by using the referral code EverydayLinux uh, when you get there. That's it. Thank you, LinuxAcademy.com, for once again supporting your Linux show that isn't about Linux. Oh, here you go. A one single class, $1,599. Oh. 
So, you know, if the $38 is a little too much to swing, you know, you might look at $1,600 for a single course. Um, that's another option. Yeah, there you go. We're all about providing options here at Everyday Linux. In the in the in the interest of the spirit of open source, we will fragment your options for you. <laughs> but we all know who you're going to go end up going with. Every, just remember to tell them that Everyday Linux sent you. There you go. And moving on to the topic of the day, kind of. Uh, here's you know I always say numbers are BS if they're presented in the form of a percentage. All of these are presented in the form of a percentage, no raw numbers. Nowhere on the site could I find how many people actually voted on this. And I think as we go through here, you're going to see some evidence that very low numbers are representative, uh, represented. But here on the Linux Journal 2013 Reader's Choice Awards, the best Linux distro goes to Ubuntu with 16%. All right, that's not surprising. That yeah, that's not surprising, especially when you start going down the list. But you know, the one that surprised me a little bit, <laughs> number three, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. So so let's okay. So <laughs> Ubuntu's number one, Debian's number Go two. Figure. All right, so you know the grandfather of Ubuntu. I'm fine with that. Number three with ten point eight percent of the vote, Arch. I'm sorry, guys, you just lost me for the entirety of this whole poll now. <laughs> when Arch gets ten percent of the vote. Okay, but well, here you have to remember this the person who reads um the Linux journal is not the everyday Linux user. The person who reads the Linux journal is someone who would use Arch. So <laughs> okay, good point. You know, True. again, okay. I don't think this is the everyday Linux user, but again, coming from the Linux journal I can see where Arch would have a higher representation there than they would in the overall Linux community as a whole. Uh, jumping down me. here to best mobile Linux OS. And frankly, this is, in my opinion, a misnomer. But 46.6% of the vote says that Android is the best mobile Linux OS. I don't, I don't buy that. Linux is the foundation on which Android is built, but it's not truly Android. I mean, it's not truly Linux. Well, I know they've, they've moved in the past to merge the Linux kernel uh, and the Android kernel so that they share a common kernel. And since Linux is the kernel in the GNU slash Linux operating system, <laughs> Um, I, you know, I don't know, but again, it's one of those, I was actually surprised that it was that low. I figured it would have been very high and, um, has there are other um platforms that are being mature enough to use on a regular basis again uh for the app for the linux user i could actually see android falling a little bit probably to firefox os will grow um if you'll notice that me goes hanging on in fifth place at 2.6 percent of yes. the res- of the <laughs> respondents um Another Still thing that it. tells me this is bogus that Migo even shows up. Number two is Sailfish. I don't know what Sailfish OS is, but number three is CyanogenMod, which is just hacked Android. So I really you got to combine those two things, in my opinion. So that's fourteen point two plus forty six point six. So that's sixty point eight percent of the vote for Android, basically. Yeah. I don't see. I don't see a big problem with that. I'm surprised, though, that Firefox even made the list because that's not even technically out yet. Yeah. Best Linux smartphone manufacturer? 
Samsung's got all the good stuff these days. So they say, but number two is Java. Interesting. Okay. That, that's yeah. obviously not in the United States. <laughs> and and then the next one is is Nexus. Nexus isn't a thing. Nexus is made by by Samsung and by HTC and by LG. So that's not even a thing. I'm calling you out on this one, Linux Review. Nexus isn't a hardware manufacturer. Nope. Um, right. But again, name. the way they did it was they took nominations and right. then they uh, voted on the nomination. So they did not propose these categories. There was a round of nominations where people nominated and said Nexus is the best smartphone. Um, you know, and it, it might have been worded different, you know, but the best smartphone hardware, I could see that making a case for Nexus. Maybe. The best Linux tablet? Again, not really Linux, but the Google Nexus offerings, the 7-inch and the 10-inch, combined for over 50% of the vote, with the Galaxy Tab 11 uh, rounding out the top with 11% of the vote. Yeah, I was surprised uh, at how poorly the Asus Transformer showed in this. I expected it to be more um, than it was. It was a popular write-in, but not enough to garner um, major in the top spots. I think that has to do with the fact that they had some bad manufacturing clips with their transformers. Um, I got bit by one of oh, their really? bad boards. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not super, you know, not, there wasn't a lot of them, but there was enough that when I called in about my transformer that I was using was not booting anymore, they go, Oh, it's a known issue with the manufacturing. So it oh. was a, it, it it, it, there, there was a manufacturing issue with some of the transformers, so I bet you that's the people that got hurt by their transformer dying. I bet you they were the ones that that didn't write in transformer because I know when I went for my transformer, I went to a Nexus. So I bet you that was the the a lot of people's movement is off of the transformer brand and into a Nexus brand. Okay. The best distro for high performance computing, Debian. Clocks in at number one with 22.5%. Ubuntu, number two at 15%. And Red Hat right behind it at 13%. There was a tight grouping on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was actually surprised that, that Ubuntu for high performance computing would show up there because as top heavy, you know, as, as gooey purdy as they make it, it just seems like it would not do good in that vein. Well, the, I guess the question is, what do they consider high-performance computing? Is that like graphical editing of pictures and movies, or are they talking like supercomputers? Or you know, that that's kind of a, a a questionable category. Well, yeah, that's true. I didn't look. You know, again, they just kind of presented these, and it, I was reading. You know, the Linux Journal is primarily a paper thing, um, and if you subscribe to it, you get access to more information on their website. And obviously, I don't subscribe to it, so it's just whatever is out in the free that I read. So I don't know if there was more information somewhere in the journal itself. How about best desktop environment? KDE tops number one. Okay, but here's the, the stupid thing. Unity comes close behind at number two. Once again, I'm calling you bogus Linux journal when Unity comes in at number two. Now, well, Seth, you can say these aren't the typical users, but these power users are the ones who would most hate Unity. 
Yeah. yeah. The other but, thing, you the know, other, if Unity the other thing is the most popular distro, then the you mean Ubuntu? Um, I mean, if Ubuntu is the most popular distro, then there's got to be a lot of people who use it. You know, it's still the most popular distro. Um, granted, not by nearly the margin it used to be. So, uh, yeah, I don't see how the whole Unity thing is. But you know, really, you got KDE um, and GNOME three. You know, those are your two major choices. Um, the other thing, you know, Plasma and XFCE. So it's not like there's a whole bunch. And of course, I know there's literally 10,000 different desktops out there. Um, but as far as major desktops, there's not that many. And I was going to say, you know, honestly, the KDE and KDE Plasma should be joined together in one. Um, they, they, they are the same framework. It's just one is spun up for a low-end performance touchscreen-y thing, and the other one is just the desktop environment. So I think those two should technically be the same line. Let's jump down to something that uh, is a little more holy war-inducing. Best scripting language. Oh, Python goodness. beats Bash 37.1% to 20.2%. I, yeah, I was, kind of, uh, I was kind of shocked by this. You know, but, I can uh, see it, though, because Python started to take alive? over. <laughs> no, no, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. Um, I'm just, I was just thinking, you know, Bash is still a big player, but Python is starting to become a, 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 no, you know, a normal thing to be used in server environments or when you're scripting things for any environment. So I could see how Python would be becoming a big player in the market. I, do I think it beats Bash? No. But... I could see why it would be at least maybe number two, not number one. <laughs> and Seth has highlighted here he wants to talk about the best Linux slash open source software advocate or evangelist. Linus Torvalds comes in number one with 23.4%. GitHub. What? GitHub comes in second at 14.9%. And the rounding up the top three is, of course, our beloved Mr. Stallman. Richard. Yeah, and yeah, you know, Mark, I think you took him down a couple of points with your whole rant on him, so I think <laughs> you didn't score as high because of your rant. You ruined it for him, and I just wanted to bring that out. Obviously, there was some lim- uh, some uh, um, auctioneering, what's the word, electioneering going on, Jupiter Broadcasting rounds yep. out the top four. They uh, do the Linux Action Show. They got 10.1% of the vote. Really? Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> worst Linux open source idea, the number one worst Linux idea, GNOME 3, <laughs> with 19.9% of the votes. And trailing awesome. right behind it, create a new distro instead of application <laughs> at 19.5%. And of course, so, um, quick on its heels, Mir. So the two, two of the top three worst ideas are replacements for desktop shells. Yep. And then number four was Ubuntu going in alone at 15.9%. So there's a real tight grouping. And I just had to throw it in there. The sixth place, uh, putting GNU in front of Linux <laughs> at 5.7%. <laughs> oh. One of the worst of uh, the Linux slash open source idea. Cause you know, think about that. It's the worst GNU slash Linux slash open source idea. Um, that yes. just, that takes too long to say. So it's, uh, I, it's, it, that's in, in line with me with people who say FOSS instead of just saying open source. 
Yeah. You got a free, say, free open source software or Libre, free Libre floss gets even worse. Come on, people. It's yes, I understand words mean things, but let's not get hung up on them. Yeah. Um, Best yeah, commercial but- application, Steam for Linux, with 74.6% of the vote. Woofta. Yeah. That's a lot, but that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I want to see what is this the system I think it is, the Lightworks. Is this that? It is. Yeah, light- this is the, the video editing software that is a monster. <laughs> it's not yet ready for prime time. No, it's not ready yeah. for prime time, but when it when it hits, it's going to be a big yeah. deal. When it's, it's going to be uh, the the new standard. It's going to be Adobe Premiere or Avid Final Cut. It's going to be it's going to oh, be yeah. the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this eventually. is definitely. But they've been promising that for like 4 years now. Well, but it's starting to become Have you installed it recently? Not recently. No. Uh, yeah, I I actually spent some time and I installed the free version and I had a buddy of a, a, a student install the free version and I had him sit down in front of Lightworks and sit down in front of Sony Vegas and tell me which one he liked doing stuff in more. Lightworks one hands down. Nice. It was interesting. So yeah, it it may only be it may be tw- you know fifteen years or ten years or eight years or whatever in the making, but. It's when it hits, it's going to change the way video is done. Yay. And the number one Linux product of the year, our beloved Raspberry Pi, comes in at the top with 34.6% of the vote. And the nerd uh, kick me sign comes in rounding up the bottom, the Google Chromecast at 4.8%. No, that's not Google Glasses. That's Google Chromecast. I'm sorry. I misread that. Yes, Google Chromecast. You know what? I think had Google Chromecast came out earlier in the year, it would be a lot higher because Google Chromecast from, again, I I haven't played with it um, because that would involve using Chrome for something other than Google (laughs) Hangouts for the podcast. But uh, it actually, it seems to be pretty cool. The, uh, The what I'm waiting for Chromecast is for it to do local media. It doesn't yet. There are some hacks that will make it do it, but I want it to support my media device downstairs i wanted to pull everything that's off of there uh once it does that i'm going to be all in on the chromecast a 35 dollars and you know of course it's a companion device you got to have a tablet or a smartphone or whatever but i have those so that's fine and i'll be right behind you on that one as cheap as they're making tablets you could just you know just be like your remote control you can download some other app that will let you remote control your dish or your direct tv and just have a little google nexus 7 that is your and that becomes your little tablet plus your chromecast becomes your media center and you don't have to have a big box what I'd like them to see, uh, like to see them do, is for maybe fifty dollars for a, a prime, uh, a more expensive version, have it with an RF reader uh, or an RF blaster that can look oh. up codes on the internet and run all my other stuff. Then, then I'm sold. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's gonna be. T- it'll just be time because it's. This is the first gen device, and I think eventually, it's gonna take over. I think it's. It's gonna become everyone's media center for at least the people that have large media troves in their house um i really think probably i added uh we got new movies for christmas as we we always do we give each other movies and and i've bought bought some stuff and my account right now is 313 movies on my media center so yep 
I've got a few. That's not counting TV shows. That's just movies. I've got wow. TV shows as well. Yeah. And all yeah, I paid for all of them, just so you know. Didn't torrent any of them. Um, that's because you're a good internet citizen. Well, you know, I don't want people stealing <laughs> my stuff. I'm not going to steal somebody else's stuff. There you go. Um, and that's it. That wasn't everything. Go to Linux Review, uh, excuse me, LinuxJournal.com if you're interested in more of it. But we just th- picked out some things that we thought were fun to make fun of. Um, Pretty much. <laughs> so <laughs> let's jump right into our tips of the week. Uh, Chris's tip of the week is a big old blank. And so Seth's yep. well, link, but I'm link not, of I'm the not. week. Oh, wait, it may what? be it may it may be blank, but I do have something I'm going to oh, tell people about. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little a little dark horse moment here. Um, this weekend, I or not this weekend, but this week at work, um, I had to actually dig deep into my memory banks and remember how to use um, the the SSH commands for having to copy from one server to another. So. Uh, it was an interesting moment because I, I really forgot. So make sure you guys, if you're using your Google, your, your Google, your command line to definitely keep track of things to keep, to, uh, make sure that you can get back into servers and copy things out when you need to. Uh, it was a, one of those moments of craziness when I found out that my VMware server was crashing and I needed to get the images off of it quickly. Rot roll. Yes, with so, that that's never good news. No. Any server crashing is never good news. But yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it, it, the SH, what is it, SCP, and then the, yes. the command line switches to move around. Definitely one day learn, and then not just learn, but remember how to use it. Because <laughs> it took me a little bit to remember which way the slashes, or which way, um, which side of the, the, if it's source first or destination first or, how to attach it from, you know, SSHing into one place and then having it copy over to an SSH to another server. Um, definitely something to dig through if you're def, if you're a, a Linux administrator and you need to move files all over the place, learn it. You'll use it. And of course, being the uh, GUI guy that I am, I use WinSCP every day of my life. But that's Windows um, driven. Yes. Boo. Boo. Yeah. Boo on you. <laughs> So, uh, Seth, what do you got for us this week? Okay, well, uh, I figured I'd go with something at least kind of semi-serious this week. And so I'm linking to an Ars Technica article that will show you um, taking a look back at what some of the different OSs look like. If you're fairly young, you might not remember what uh, Windows 1.0 looked like or Mac OS 7, um, Windows 3.1. System 7. System 7 was was it, man. It was as good as software got for a long time. Yep. And, you know, and originally um, Apple had a thing where everything they produced, you had to be able to run on the first Mac. So everything was backwards compatible up through that point. Um, but And it just shows what the OSs used to look like. Uh, virtualdesktop.org will take you there, but also some of them are links to a um, – you know, just like a little, a website somewhere. And again, they're not totally and fully usable, but to show you what it looks like and how far the user interface has came in the yeah, last, you, com- uh, you compare yeah. windows 95 to windows seven. 
Right. And it's it's amazing. Um, and when you think that they're running very similar code bases, uh, and you know, go all the way, Windows 3.1, oh my gosh. But Windows 3.1, as clunky as it was, was uh, a quantum leap over the ultimate, which was System 7. I mean, System, System 7 was, was it. Um, and then Windows 3.1 came out, and it's like, wow, it's even better. It pretends to multitask. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. This is good stuff. Anyway, I just thought, you know, it would just be a cool to look because some of them you can kind of click around and do different things. You know, you're not going to be creating documents and browsing a web within a web or whatever. But, you know, it's always neat to look back at where we came from just to help you appreciate where we're at now. You know, the mess that is Unity still looks really pretty compared to these things uh yeah and anyway you know, that, that's my link when we look back in another 20 years uh, it's interesting we're moving back to that flat you know windows 3.1 was very flat right and, and just squares and boxes and there weren't drop shadows and transparencies so we got all super glassy and lickable was the word for a while uh, now we're going back to the flat thing you know even uh, the recent windows uh, excuse me uh, apple ios 7 update um is flatter and more i don't know fisher pricier um it's it, it reminds me of a romper room sort of thing and that's i said the same thing about xp when it first came out that fisher price interface with the big yeah. red x up in the corner um yeah. it's interesting how our perceptions uh continue even though what was what we're perceiving is different i think it's funny well, when you look it's at all, the, you know the, in order to market the computer they they're they're not marketed to geeks anymore but they're just they're marketed to a lower common denominator it seems you were saying, Chris? I'm gonna say what's funny is you look over at the XP screenshot that they put up there, and I was just looking over the browsers they got. I can't see what the one browser is because the start menu covers the first part of the name, but then they have Opera, Internet Explorer Seven, the original Mozilla logos, yes, and then Maxthon, um, <laughs> links to an ADSL USB and a DSL LAN. That's the, that's priceless stuff that you don't even people don't even talk about anymore. Those were the yeah. bad old days. XP shipped with the six, i.e. six. Uh, <laughs> yep. I think I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that just goes to show how old we really are. When we when we can look back and go, hey, I remember configuring those. <laughs> oh. Yep. All right. If you enjoyed this show, let us know about it. If you didn't like it, let us know about it, too. Uh, you can do both of those things over at elementop.com. Uh, use the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Hop on over to the bad movie forums. And remember, they are bad movies, not good movies. You have to enjoy them because they're bad, not expect them to be good. Um, and that that thread has sort of died down a little bit. We, we need to bring it uh, back. Uh, uh, Kung Fury is still hanging on out there. I, I need to look that up right now while I'm t- typing. Um, Kung Fury I, is up to 547 thousand dollars. They got five days to go. By the time the show comes out, they'll have two days left. We, I don't. I don't think they're going to make the million. Um, and I'm disappointed by that. I, I went and update up to my pledge. I, I, I put a hundred bucks into this thing because I believe that much that I want this two hour Kung Fury to exist. Um, 
and I'm a little disappointed that it's not going to, but I'm, I'm excited about the 30-minute 30, 30 thing. So the king of the bad movies, Kung Fury, uh, go check it out. Just Google it by now. It, it's the first thing that comes up on the, the I'm Feeling Lucky even. So go check it out. Um, let us know if you want if you want to be on the show in a in a very real way. You can do that using our voicemail line five five nine I am OP, or just go to our page. If you're too lazy to even do that, go to our page. Click the leave us a voicemail button at the top of the page. Uh, enter your phone number and uh, Google Voice. We'll call you. All you got to do is answer. You can do that even right from your your Google uh, Gmail these days. Um, so those are all ways to contact us, and we encourage you to do that. Uh, let us know what you think. If you got ideas, if you got show topics, if you want to be on the show or know somebody who you think should be on the show, those are all ways to do that. Elementop.com. Check us out. And again, thanks for those of you who are, have used the uh, Amazon link and for those who've uh, used the tip jar. Um, we appreciate it, and, uh, you know, more is better. <laughs> it helps me upgrade my equipment. I made it through a whole show with no crashing that's been a while since that has happened. Yay. That's awesome. Yes. So thanks to all of you that did that. And uh, a humble plea, if you like the show, pay us a couple of bucks. That's that's all there is to it. Guys, any final comments before we say goodnight? Uh, don't watch Stone Nato. That was just bad, but in an awful way. So <laughs> Not even Sharknado, in a good, bad, but in a great way. Stone Nato, just plain bad. Um, okay. Interesting. Uh, I'll just end with saying, trust your command line because it'll never steer you wrong. I think I also a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that. (laughs) And on that note, that's the perfect way to end the show. Good night, everybody. That is this episode of Everyday Linux. (laughs) 